0: Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth.
1: The goal to help you lead like never before, in your church or in your business. And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to episode 462 of the podcast. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And I'm very excited to bring you Jordan Rayner today on the podcast. Uh, he's been on before, but uh, my goodness, he's got a brand new book on redeeming your time. We're going to talk about all that and many other things. And today's episode is brought to you by Metashare. They have a 98% customer satisfaction rating and an average member savings of 50% or more. Find out how much you could save by going to metasharecom slash carry. And by World Vision, they've got a free leadership assessment guide that you can access today at worldvision.org slash podcast. Well, good to have Jordan Rainer back. He is a serial entrepreneur, also a father of three young kids. I get that question a lot, having written At Your Best. It's like, well, you know, nice for you. Your kids are grown. Well, Jordan and I get into the thick of it. He's got three young kids. He's a serial entrepreneur, national bestselling author of the book Redeeming Your Time, as well as others. He's helped millions of people around the world connect their faith to work through his Call to Mastery podcast his devotionals, and other books. He serves as the executive chairman of Threshold 360, which is a venture-backed tech startup that has built the world's largest library of 360-degree virtual experiences of hotels, restaurants, and attractions. He's a highly sought-after speaker on the topic of faith and work. He has spoken at many events around the world, including Harvard University and South by Southwest. He has been selected as a Google Fellow twice and served in the White House under President George W. Bush. And he lives in Tampa, Florida, and that's where I catch up with him today. Hey, want to thank all of you for your continued just hanging in there. I mean, we're coming to the end of a year, and I think it's a miracle that you're still leading, you're still moving. Uh, I know it's been a very, very difficult time, and I just want you to know, hey, I hope this podcast brings you some hope. We hear from you every single day. I'm so grateful for you, and uh, thanks for partnering with us. We have a pretty exciting 2022 coming up. I've got a series I'm very excited about, about um, the future, really, of technology and the church and culture. It's a mini-series that will start in January. We've got some really great guests. And if you appreciate this podcast, maybe you're new, um, subscribe. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Overcast, where I do my listening. I love the Overcast app, by the way. Super smart uh, app. And uh, well, we're just glad to have you along. That's all. Hey, it is that time of year again. It's open enrollment season, and you've got to figure out what you're doing for healthcare. Well, there's probably two factors that rank above the others trust and affordability. With a 98% customer satisfaction rating and an average member savings of 50% or more, Metashare checks both of those boxes. They offer access to almost a million healthcare providers and have a proven 27 year track record. And there's another thing I love about MetaShare, which is we all need a little bit of extra help, and they have got unlimited professional virtual counseling sessions available to their members. Right now is the best time to make the switch. So find out how much you could save by going to metasharecom carry. And then, uh, as we've already indicated, it has been a really, really tough season for leaders. Every day seems to bring new challenges, and World Vision is in your corner. So they have partnered with Krish Kandaya, to create an interactive tool to ask yourself the critical questions you need to ask as a leader and take stock of where you are and how you're doing, so you can get their free leadership assessment guide today at worldvisionorg podcast. That's worldvisionorg podcast. Well, uh, without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Jordan Rayner. Jordan Rayner, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you. It's a joy to be with you, Carrie. So, you and I have the fun thing of writing the same book at almost the same time. For those of you watching on YouTube, we got Redeeming Your Time and At Your Best. We're kind of joking about that, right? So, I'm the pastor who put no scripture in his book, and you're the entrepreneur whose book is filled with scripture. What's going on there, buddy? Hey, it's the old adage rock stars want to be movie stars, movie
0: stars want to be rock stars right it's you and me i don't know who's uh, the rock star but uh i think that's what's going on here here's the thing both of these books published with the same publisher you would have thought somebody would have raised their hands somebody big, went, hey, hey have, do you jordan? know jordan
1: rayner uh, <laughs> but you know jordan the thing about this and we have known each other for a couple of years you, you reached out to me when you were in toronto pre-pandemic and like yes. hey come on down you had me on your show i had you on yeah. here and uh we actually got to meet in real life which was awesome But um, the thing is, you and I were talking about it. This is a category of like productivity, time management that just seems inexhaustible. A little bit like a cookbook or a weight loss book. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've already seen a cookbook in a store. Please don't write another cookbook. It's like, why do they keep selling? Same with weight loss, right? It is pretty simple. I think it has something to do with eating fewer calories than you burn. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that one. Why do you think time management is such a problem? And by the way, I'm delighted Jordan wrote this book. Uh, yeah. it's it 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 says things you go in territories I do not go into, and there's a lot of ideas that are absolutely worth bringing into your life.
0: This is such a perennial challenge. Listen, I mean, you're Pastor Carrie, You know the theological answer is because we work under the fall, work under the yeah, curse. Yeah. I the thing that infuriates me. About diet books, not that I've read them, or time management books, which I've read many, is when the author acts like solving these problems is gonna be easy. It's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> right, You know how I know? Because we keep publishing books on this topic, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but listen, Carrie, there's 60,000 books in the time management category on Amazon right Ooh, now. Ooh, I'm glad I didn't I,
1: know that before I started writing at your yeah,
0: best. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I, I found out afterwards too. Uh, and I've read all the perennial bestsellers in this yeah. category, making my way through the next bestseller at your best right now. And while <laughs> I love, listen, I love all these books. I love David Allen and Getting Things Done. I love my friend Cal Newport, Deep Work, and Greg McEwen Essentialism. But, you know, I don't know. For me, Carrie, I I just had three big problems with most of these books, which are really the impetus for writing Redeeming Your Time. You know, number one, these books tend to be centered on what I would call workspace productivity, right? The idea is, hey, you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, leader? Follow my system do exercises X, Y, and Z, and then you will find peace. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe I already have peace. I have ultimate peace with God, Paul says in Romans 5.1. So I don't do time management exercises to get peace. I do them in response to the peace I've already been given. And I just think that's a radically different foundation for a book. Uh, The second, and you already touched on this, Gary, second reason why I wrote this book, second problem I have with these other books, None of them account for how the author of time managed his time when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. This, this is mind boggling to me. Christian or not, I think it's pretty hard to dispute that Jesus of Nazareth was the most productive person who ever lived. And yet, yeah, I don't can know what time management book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are biographies of the life of the most productive person ever. How arrogant of us not to think uh, that we can look to those biographies for tools as we redeem our time. And then last thing, I'll just share a third problem I have with these other time management books. They, they, A lot of them fail to connect all the pieces of the puzzle together. I mm-hmm. actually think you did a good job of this from what I've read so far and at well, your best. You. And this is my goal with redeeming your time. You know, Deep work is great. Getting things done is great. Essentialism is great. But all of these are pieces of the puzzle that have got to be connected together. And so my audacious goal with this book is connecting the pieces of the puzzle together. And I believe Jesus is the glue and the example that puts all those pieces together in the puzzle.
1: It's a fascinating perspective, you know, when you, when you think about it. And there is a lot of scripture in your book, which I really deeply respect. Um, I wrote mine the way I wrote mine because I still left part of my heart in the legal world. And I wanted to be able to hand them to completely pagan people, yeah. <laughs> you know, not yeah. pagan, but you know what I mean, right? Like yeah. completely non-Christian people who would say, I'm not reading a Christian book. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that seems to be making its way out in the world right now, which I'm, I'm very yeah. excited about. Um, I got to ask you though, as a CEO yourself and as an entrepreneur, What have been your biggest personal time challenges? Most of us write these books because they're a prescription to ourselves. Was that true in your case? Totally. Uh,
0: This is a really easy one to answer. The third of the seven principles in this book that I think we could see in the life of Christ in the Gospels is what I call descent from the kingdom of noise, and mm. this has been the hardest I and I would argue most important for my career as a tech entrepreneur. I have to make time to dissent from the kingdom of noise so that I can just discern what's essential on my to-do list. Carrie, you know this. In a startup, resources, financial and, of course, time are crazy constrained. And thus, the most important thing you do as the leader— is choose the few initiatives that are really going to move the needle in the business. And I would argue that is impossible to do when we are constantly intaking information. We are drowning in what C.S. Lewis called the kingdom of noise in his great book, Screwtape Letters. Uh, And so I've just had to learn really practical habits for exiting, dissenting the kingdom of noise on a regular basis so I could think so i could be creative so i could prioritize my to do list and most importantly so i could listen to the voice of god and what he's mm. telling me to focus on in my work and my life
1: yeah i don't think we got business leaders and preachers listening i don't think that preachers are immune from that i think we can fall victim to that where we just got get caught up in the tyranny of texts and emails and knocks on the door and hey can you and hey can you can i have 5 minutes of your time and we don't even hear from god how mm. did you How did you start to combat that? What do you do to tune out the kingdom of noise? Yeah, so I do a few things. Um,
0: One of the simplest ones is I just refuse to fill the crevices of my day with noise. Uh, What do I mean by crevices of my day? When I'm standing in line with Starbucks, I try to be the one person not intaking information on my smartphone. When I have a seven-minute errand to run— Uh, I don't press play on the podcast, even if it's my own or the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. I just sit there and be quiet and think, right? Uh, Another practice uh, that I started years ago, um, I go for a morning walk every morning. Uh, When I was running this tech startup we just talked about, I would walk a half a mile from my office to my favorite coffee shop downtown. I wouldn't look at my phone. I would just be quiet and think and sort through of all of the things me and my team could be focused on today. What's the essential thing? But the solitude and the silence was a prerequisite for being able to identify the essential out of all of the noise surrounding me.
1: Hmm, that is really good. What about devices? Do you do you disable all notifications on your devices? One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. So
0: my phone's always in that disturb. I only ever have one uh, tab open in my browser. And for years, I was really good about disabling notifications at work so that I could do deep work in the parlance of my friend Cal Newport. But then I got convicted that, man, I don't wanna just do deep work. I wanna cultivate deep relationships at home. And so what was a game changer for me was having really good digital hygiene after I got home from work. And so for me, Uh, When I end my workday at 5 p.m., I close my laptop, I take my phone, and put it into our master bathroom uh, from 5 o'clock until 7.30 p.m. So the two and a half hours I'm with my kids. And effectively, I've converted my cell phone into a landline for two and a half
1: hours, right? Right, Uh, use it in case of emergencies, right?
0: That's exactly right. My phone's on Do Not Disturb. Uh the the ringer is on. So if my parents, my elderly parents need to get a hold of me, they can get a hold of me or my assistant, whatever. But otherwise, the temptation to check Instagram or text messages or an author's bestseller ranking, not that we ever check that. No, no, no. Uh, we never
1: check that stuff. <laughs> never, ever.
0: ever. Uh, has been mitigated, right? My phone is the landline for two and a half hours. And then 7:30. I check my phone for about five more minutes. I don't check email, just te- check text really quickly. And then I put my phone to bed an hour before I go to bed. And I don't touch it again until two and a half hours after I wake up in the morning. So I spend a ton of time away from my device.
1: Well, you and John Mark hum are very similar regimes. Yeah. His might be a little more radical than that. So let's break that down. Um, and I know you, you address this in your book, but like FOMO has got to be a part of that, dude. Like- a lot of people won't do it because they're like, well, Jordan, thank you. That's really nice for you. First of all, let me just point out for people who don't know your life situation, you are young and you have young kids, right? How old yeah. are your kids approximately? Yeah, seven, five, and one. Okay. So, I mean, you're in the thick of it, man. It doesn't yeah. get thicker than three kids under the age of seven, <laughs> for sure. Okay. So it's not like, oh yeah, there's this empty nester who can just do what he wants with his life. Like you're, you're in the fray. And so you're working by day, you're home with your family at night. So there's the context. What about FOMO? What about like, well, I don't know what's going on on Instagram and don't you have Mm. a responsibility to market your book? And don't you have a Mm. responsibility to check all those emails? Uh, What is your day job these days, by the way? It seems to change every little while.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, for the last two and a half years, I've been spending the majority of my time creating content.
1: Uh, Books
0: like Redeeming Your Time, my podcast, The Call to Mastery. But I still... responsibilities in the world of tech startups uh i'm the executive chairman of a pretty well-funded tech startup called threshold uh 360. i served as ceo for two and a half years of that venture so i have a very busy very full life and i have heard all of the objections imaginable to confining Mm -hmm. digital distractions right people Expect me to respond to their messages immediately. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to miss something urgent. Yeah, I'll tell you what, for years now, I've been checking email and texts uh, th- one to three times a workday, and I have wow. never, ever once missed something urgent. And for the majority of that time, I haven't had an assistant screening my emails for me. Here's the deal, Carrie we all think we are way more important than we actually are. <laughs>
1: Uh, we do a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I've been really wrestling with that lately. It's like, you know, one day I'm going to die and people are going to be like, oh, that guy, like nobody nobody really cares, right? I think I
0: told this story the last time I was on the show. I can't remember, but when I stepped down as CEO uh, of this startup called Threshold, (laughs) I became executive chairman. I stepped down on a Friday, passed the baton, came back a week later for my first one-on-one with my successor. And I walk in the door, and I'm just like, oh, man, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a disaster, right? So I'm like, oh, right. how are things going? I go to my director of sales. Hey, how are things going? He's like, uh, great. I missed the beat. I go to my director of engineering. Hey, any uh, big promises? He's like, "Not. Nah, it's been a pretty uh, smooth week. Yeah, it was one of the most humbling experiences <laughs> of my life. But it reminded me that I don't need to constantly be on call for the world to keep spinning i had uh, yeah. a guy by the name of ronnie andrews on my podcast recently ceo of a public company uh answers to investment bankers and the like ronnie turns his cell phone off off airplane mode from friday afternoon until monday morning
1: you're talking about so radical no one can reach him
0: not a person and i said ronnie how many urgent things do you miss
1: zero things no <laughs> Zero things in the years
0: he's been doing this. If I'm boring my listeners,
1: not assuming that everyone listens to every episode and every word, I took July off and my autoresponder said, hey, I'm trying to practice what I preach. Uh, My assistant will be looking through my inbox over the month. I will not be. If it's really important though, I'm going to delete everything that comes in in July. Get me up in August. Yeah. How many people have circled back in August? (laughs) You know how many? One. One, one person. wasn't zero, one it was person. one. So of all those hundreds of emails that came in in July, one thing was important enough to talk about in August. Mm. And it's mm. like, gosh, how do we spend our time, right? So let's get back to yeah. Yeah. the person who's going, well, you don't understand. You're not yeah. a pastor. You're yeah. not in my position. You're not running a startup. Executive chairman of a big tech company, way to go. Okay, you can probably get away with that. What would you say to that person who thinks they're so indispensable they have to be glued to their phone?
0: I would say I've been CEO of tech startups where the mandate was to grow 50% a quarter. And the way I got that job done was not responding to my emails constantly. It was making time to do the deep work necessary to serve my customers, my team, my investors really, really well. We've got to do the same thing. Let let me offer an analogy. Let's let's say for a second uh, that instead of the mailman coming to your house once a day and dropping off mail in your mailbox. They started showing up 150 times a day, but they didn't stay at the curb. They got out of the car, went up to your front door, rang the doorbell, and you got up from what you were doing, opened up the door, grabbed the mail. Maybe you opened it, maybe you don't, but at least you steal a glance at who sent it. We would all agree that you would be certifiably insane.
1: Yeah, get a restraining order 100%. And that is exactly
0: yeah. what we do with text messages and email. This is insane. And I would ar- I argue in the book that it is impossible to do deep work and to cultivate a truly deep life uh, without figuring this out, without taking control over when you check your messages. And to get really practical, again, Carrie, this book, as you know, has 32 hyper-practical practices to help us live out Mm -hmm. this stuff. So I'm just gonna give you one because this has been one of the most life-changing ones for people who've read the book. Three steps to take control over when you check your messages. Step one, don't answer the door 150 times. Proactively choose when you're gonna check your messages every day. And listen, if you're in a role as, because you're a pastor, or a sales director, where you've got to check your email a lot more than I do, that's fine. What matters way more than the number of times you check messages is that you choose
1: when you're going to check your messages. Right. right? It was a conscious decision, not, oh gosh, I was in the bathroom, so I'm back on email.
0: That's exactly right. That's step number one. Step number two, build a list of VIPs that will have access to you at any time not just the predefined times for checking messages. Mm. So for me, my VIPs are my assistant, my investors, my uh, three core members of my team, my kids' school, and that's it. And what you do, if you got an iPhone, add them to the favorites list on your iPhone. If you're an Android user, add them to your people list. That way, when your phone's on do not disturb, calls from those people and those people alone will come through. Last step, step three you got to set expectations about your response time. You can't just go from responding to texts and emails immediately to responding every four hours. You got to send a very simple message to the VIPs in your world. Say, hey guys, listen, in an effort to better serve you and my work, from now on, I'm only going to be checking email and text at whatever times you want, 10, 1, 3, whatever, as many times you want, uh, but you're a VIP. And so you can access me anytime, but the way you do it is calling my cell phone at one mm. two three four five six seven eight nine zero. You do those three steps, you're not going to miss anything urgent, nothing, because the VIPs, the people who really have urgent stuff that you actually care about, are going to be able to reach you.
1: I don't know whether you've seen this or not, Jordan, uh, but our books went to press too late to include it. But in at your best. I was like, I wish someone would do X and then iOS 15 comes out, it does X. So you can now program do not disturb with different modes. You can have a work yeah. mode where your family rings through or your director of sales rings through or your associate rings through. You can do a home mode now. That just came out like in the last 30 days, which is yeah, incredible. Awesome. But it's exactly to that point. If you're worried about, well, my daughter's in school and she's vulnerable and you know I want to make sure she got home. Then you program for certain hours or all the time. That your daughter gets through to you. And then you don't have to worry about the rest of the world. That's um, exactly right. Is, is it true, have you found that if you access email le- less, you send it less? I'm, I'm sort of thinking of the old axiom that if you're always fighting fires, perhaps you're an arsonist. You know that, that idea, <laughs> right? Where, wait a minute, the more I'm on email, the more it consumes my life. Do you find that the less you tend it, the less you tend to get? Absolutely, because... It forces you to write
0: email like mail instead of chat, right? So, so so many of us use Ooh. email as if it's instant messaging and that's not its purpose. It's called email, right? So uh, be, right, right now in this current season, uh, when I was CEO of this tech startup, I was checking email three times a day. Today, I check it once a day. I write my emails a lot differently when I check email once a day because I know it's going to be 24 hours before I
1: get back to the Can you walk us through thread. that? Yeah. Can we get so, super nerdy?
0: And I learned this from, uh, from, I think I learned this from Tim Ferriss in the 4-Hour Work Week years and years and years ago. Writing emails uh, in the if this, then that construct, right? I'll give you a great example. Uh, send an email to somebody on my team named Chris trying to schedule lunch with. Uh, hey, Chris. Would love to have lunch. If Tijuana Flats works for you on Tuesday at one o'clock, please send a calendar invite accordingly. If that doesn't work, please email Kayla who CC'd and she'll help us find another time. I'm done with the email thread, right? That's finished. I've done it once. One one and done. But- if, I, if I'm checking email all day, I would just shoot him an email real quickly and say, hey, dude, how about Tuesday? And then he'd reply back and say, no, that doesn't work for me. And we'd send nine emails. It's how crazy. about one
1: o'clock? How about one thirty? How about 145? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, exactly. that whole thread, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's really good. Anything else about um, the fear of missing out? Because I think we are addicted to our devices. It's very, very clear. And I mean, this is something I struggle with as well. You know, I'm much older than you. Yeah, Uh, but I'm also at the point where yeah, I'm pretty tech dependent, and I've found that the less I depend on it, the healthier I seem to get. Yeah. What 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 would you say to leaders about social media? About like, do you do you where do you put your phone at night? What what about things like that? How important is that? I'm going to take this in a slightly different but related direction because I think a
0: lot of our FOMO isn't just about emails; it's about information. We love being the first to know some interesting piece of news. We love being the first one to post about some celebrity that we haven't thought about in 20 years, the fact that they just died on Instagram. Like, we just love it. We love being the first to get there. Um, And I just, by the grace of God, have realized this is silly. And the news and social media is making us, this is my opinion, there's lots of data about this, Dr. Gene Twenge, Twengy, who was on your podcast, talked about this. Yeah, uh, the news is making us anxious, and oh. the news is ninety-nine percent totally meaningless to our lives and work. And so, about six years ago, yes. and by the way, this is coming from a recovering news junkie. My first job ever out of Florida State, uh, I ran a tech startup that was basically a news aggregator. So I, I used to love the news, and six years ago, I quit cold turkey. Today, I listen to zero news, no news podcast. I read no news websites, nothing. And I spend almost zero time on social media. And here's what I found. Um, I'm surprisingly not ignorant because... (laughs) Yeah, how does that work? How does that work? Here's how it works. My friends curate the news for me. They tell me about Everything that truly matters to my life and work. I'll give you a great example. Carrie. I know you and I are both big fans of Tim Keller. Uh-huh. When Tim posted on Twitter, which I never access, that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, eight of my friends texted me the news within 10 minutes of the tweet being posted. I hear about pandemics. I live in Florida. I hear about hurricanes, which are important in my life. I hear about media trends and rumors of every uh, West Wing reunion because I'm a huge West Wing fan. And I hear about all of these things without having to spend a moment waiting through the just ridiculous news cycle that is CNN.com and social media services. You know, and here's the deal, like, a lot of people are like, oh, this practice is really selfish. No, it's not. I hope my friends will join me on a no-information diet, but most of them won't. Most of them will continue to feast at the all-you-can-eat information buffet, and guess what? They're going to willingly, naturally, and unknowingly, largely, curate the best information for me and for you. My advice? Let them.
1: Hmm. See, that's really fascinating because I have struggled with news consumption as well. I don't watch TV news. So that's one thing. Unless it's an election night or sure. there's a really big thing. The TV's not for that purpose. I have very carefully curated sources because I don't want to get into inflammatory on the left or on the right. I don't want to get into that. So I, I tend to go with uh, with other forms of journalism that aren't quite as fractious. But it's a business model that pays you to get outraged, that pays you to, to look. And it's like even the weather network, which I rely on because I'm outside all the time and I'm a cyclist. It's like, you know, be aware of wind risk, you know, sign up for our notifications. I'm like, I'm pretty sure most of us got through life without knowing exactly how windy it was going to (laughs) be next Tuesday. Um, I don't know that I need that kind of information being pushed to my phone, but we live in this, this really, challenging space. What has that done to your headspace? What has that done oh my gosh. in the last six years? Well,
0: listen, I've, I've been on by far the most productive six, five-year run of my entire life. I built two businesses that have created more than 120 jobs. I have uh, signed seven book deals. Right, yeah. That's I have, a lot of books, dude. That's a lot of books. I've raised, quote unquote, uh, started to raise a seven, five, and a one-year-old, baptized one of them. I, and listen, like I'm not the hero of the story. Bible makes yeah. clear that God alone produces results through our work. But part of the way he has done that through me is by showing me the tremendous value of dissenting from the kingdom of noise. And listen, I know a lot of people listening to my no news consumption are like this guy's crazy. Let me offer a much more uh reasonable practice here, so another practice from the book. Maybe proposal. you maybe you love the news. Maybe you love the news at, I would encourage you at least stop swimming in infinity pools of content, right? Mm. Um, Infinity pools are Instagram stories and news websites that seamlessly scroll from one meaningless story to the next, right? Mm. Opt for finite pools of content, a daily news roundup podcast or email newsletter. Uh, At the risk of sounding like a 90-year-old, a physical newspaper, right? Like where, where someone crazy? actually sat
1: down and curated and said, this is what you need to know. I mean, that's what the evening news used to be. In 30 minutes, here's what happened in the world today. Now you're caught up to date, finished, get on with your life.
0: That's exactly right. And yeah. I, the, the, I, I love the New York Times masthead. It's all mm. the news that's fit to print. It a to There's- fit. Into a container. And that is its stark contrast with the way that media is hanging. we just got to be cognizant of that. And I think once we realize this, once we realize that, oh, yeah, these things never end. Most people are like, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, let's opt for more finite pools of content to swim in.
1: Yeah. Um, anything else on digital hygiene? Because I think that's so important. And, or anything else on the kingdom of noise, Jordan? I'm so glad you went there. Because it is, it's a challenge, dude.
0: Uh, There's so much uh, on this topic. Again, out of the 32 practices in this book, nine of them are in chapter three on dissenting from the kingdom of noise. Uh, But I I think we've hit on most of them. I'll just end with this. Parent your phone. You know, you tell your phone when to go to bed, uh, right? Put it in its place. Let it go to bed hours before you do. Let it stay in bed hours after you get up. So the first thing in the morning, you're alone with your Lord, you're alone with your own thoughts, and you just have space to think.
1: You also say, this is a quote from the book, depth is the silver bullet Mm. for effectiveness. Mm. I think a lot of us would basically agree with that. Mm. Um, The question is, any other practices, you've hinted at it, for Mm. going deep and being able to do the deep work. I think it was David Allen. I forget who it was. It was one of the productivity gurus that we love and admire who said uh, deep thinking. Oh, it was actually Charles Duhigg. Uh, it was Duhigg who told us on this podcast that that deep thinking is the killer app. And I think he's mm. right. That's mm-hmm. how you've been able to do what you've done at such a yes. young age. Yes. What, um, what are some other practices for uh, deep thinking? Yeah.
0: W- one of the ones that I found really valuable over the last few years is writing to think, right? So we already talked about taking control over when we check our messages in order to turn down the noise. Then once you have that, you have all this free headspace. And you're like, what do I do with this? How do I think deeply? For me, I found that writing out my thoughts in full prose uh, is essential when I need to get really clear about something. And th- this writing isn't for anybody. Nobody else is going to see it it's just me journaling really quick, unstructured notes to myself in Evernote. Uh, but that, usually done on a really long walk, uh, tends to be a game changer for me to make creative connections uh, and just think deeply about whatever I'm writing or working on in business. So you'll
1: dictate into it? Or how do you yeah. do that when you're on a walk? Yeah, yeah. when I'm on a walk, I
0: literally, you know, I'm just walking along the sidewalk and typing with my thumbs. Uh, every few minutes, I'll I'll pull off to the side write a little bit. C.S. Lewis did this. Um, he would walk miles a day every afternoon after he had done some writing. He would go on a really long walk. He would take a pen and paper with him and he would walk a little, write a little, walk a little, write a little. And I think there's uh, a lot to be learned from that practice.
1: It was Nietzsche who said, There is no thinking without walking. Yeah. Really interesting. You talk about unipresence. This yeah. is in a similar vein. What do you mean by unipresence, Jordan? So uh, if you grew up in the church or read your Bible at all,
0: you you have a rough idea of this concept of omnipresence, Uh, this idea that God is everywhere all the time. And what I find fascinating, when you look at the Gospels, Jesus, for 33 years, traded his godly omnipresence for the human unipresence, if we can make up words, right, uh, the same unity presence that you and I share today. Jesus was confined to one place at a time, and all throughout the gospel biographies, you show him being fully present with mm. one important person or task at a time. One of one of my favorite examples of this. Uh, there's a scene in the Gospels where Jesus is preaching; he's doing his work. And one of the disciples comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, your family's outside and wants to see you. And this is where he utters his famous line, you know, who are my mothers and brothers, mm-hmm. whatever. And we miss in this the fascinating B storyline to this account. Jesus ignored his family, right? When when they said, hey, Jesus, your parents he kept on teaching. He used it as a jumping off point to teach. Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, you know the rule. God first, family second, work third. He kept on teaching, right? He was fully present and focused. Elsewhere in the Gospels, you see him being fully focused on his friends and ignoring mm. other distractions. Jesus just consistently displayed this remarkable ability to embrace his uni presence. And if Jesus couldn't be in more than one place mentally at a time,
1: neither can we. Okay, let's talk about rest. My oh, goodness. yeah, let's go there. Yeah. How do you do that? You've accomplished an awful lot. I think, the is it the final chapter of the book is about embrace productive rest? It's toward the end anyway. Yeah,
0: it's towards the end,
1: tell, uh, six of seven, yeah. Yeah, okay, tell us about that.
0: Yeah, I I wish somebody had told me this earlier in my career that rest is counterintuitively one of the most productive things that we can possibly do. And in particular, uh, these three God-designed rhythms of rest breaks throughout our workday. Every other hour is your ultradian rhythms kind of cycle. Uh, Number two is nightly sleep, getting an eight-hour sleep opportunity every night. And the third is weekly Sabbath. And as I have been practicing and prioritizing those three rhythms of rest, I've been more productive than ever before. But it's not just my testimony. There's loads of data uh, that shows that these three rhythms are wildly productive towards our goals, but they're also productive for our souls because they're means of reminding ourselves that we're not keeping the world spinning and that the world will go on even when we sleep for eight hours a night.
1: Can you break those down a little bit? Let's yeah, talk about sure. the first one. I don't even know the term. Can you say it again? Yeah. That was new. Yeah, yeah.
0: To me. So I, I I refer to it as bi-hourly breaks, bi hyphen hourly breaks. What did you call them, though?
1: Artradian rhythm or something? Yeah,
0: ultradian cycles. So ultradian scientists will cycles. Tell you, what does that mean? Yeah. So scientists will tell you that your body tends to pulse in two-hour ultradian cycles. So If you're listening to this and you're a fan of Cal Newport's deep work or you're at least familiar with this concept, you're going to appreciate this. So if you sit down at your desk and do 90 minutes of intense deep work, such as recording a podcast with Carrie Newhoff, right? (laughs) If you rest for 15 to 30 minutes after that 90-minute cycle, you will be far more productive, efficient, and effective in that next 90-minute block, Right. Uh, there's a there's a really, really good old book on this called The Way We're Working Isn't Working. It's probably like 15 years old now. It's terrific. And so for me, what I found is the age old adage that I think Churchill uh, used to preach, which is if you work with your mind, rest with your hands. And if you work with your hands, rest with your mind. So throughout your work day, Whatever you're doing, do the opposite of that uh, as you rest and try to recharge and get back to full energy for the next block of work.
1: Okay, so that's good. So you're saying within every two hours, you need to take some kind of a break? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's Juliet Funt's a minute to think. She's like, people stack themselves in back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings, and you're saying that's a bad idea. So walk us through a workday. What would that look like for you? These days or back when you were CEO of the startup? like how would you how would you schedule that cuz people are probably again i'm going to play devil's advocate here it's like you don't know how busy it is i got staff knocking on my door i got people <laughs> texting me all day long i can't even breathe and then i got to go home and do it all over again so yeah how I'll take you, you back to recommend? the days
0: i'll take you back to the days when i was running a company with 120 people right yeah. i would get to the office the first 90 minutes i would sit down and do some deep work And then I would take a 15 to 30 minute walk to the coffee shop that I was talking about before. Take it, just think about what's going on the day. I was resting with my feet, right? I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I was just going, getting a cup of coffee, coming back, and then I'm right back into it for the next 90 minute block of deep work. Some other breaks that I loved uh, when I was CEO of the tech Shop, I would just play foosball or hang out with the engineers in the programming room, right? Uh, Doing something fun, not necessarily talking about work. Or I would go walk to lunch with a member of my team, but I would take at least three of these breaks throughout that workday, right? Oftentimes four, uh, because I found that they made me much more productive and much more impactful when I was on the next sales call, right? Or when I was on the next meeting with our investors, right? I was way better in the room when I had had a great break before that meeting.
1: Well, I, I completely agree. And I have done that anecdotally for years where it's like, don't stack me in back-to-back meetings. No. I'm I'm going to hurt myself or hurt somebody. Like I just can't do like, or I'm just not present for the third meeting. It's like, I'm there, but I don't know what's going on. Anecdotally exactly. or based on your research, what is going yeah. on there when you take those breaks? What's happening to your brain? What's happening to your soul? As you go for that walk, as you play foosball, in my case, as I blow some leaves in my backyard or whatever it happens to be, where I'm taking a break in the middle of the workday, what's happening inside you?
0: Yeah, what's happening inside me is I'm feeling a heck of a lot less anxious uh, and I'm just feeling rested. Uh, Anecdotally, and there's no data to support this, right? You know, if I'm at 70% energy after a block of deep work, if I just go downstairs and do the dishes for 15 minutes, I'm back to 95%. Right, mm-hmm. And that that break is far more restful than reading a book or doing something with my mind because I work with my mind. Again, if you work with your mind, rest with your hands. If you work with your hands, rest with your mind. So if you're a carpenter, right, uh, and you're working with your hands, probably not going to be very restful for you to go chop down some wood, right? You probably want to do a crossword puzzle and
1: vice versa. Okay, so let's talk about eight hours of sleep at night because a yeah. lot of people would push back. <laughs> Yeah. But you, oh, yeah. you again, you're in the thick of it. You're a guy in your 30s with three kids under the age of seven, and you're prioritizing eight hours, and you have a one year old. You're prioritizing eight hours sleep as best you can. Can you and I'll just say, say this that works?
0: both my wife and myself email me if you don't believe me. I'll show you the Fitbit data to prove it. Get seven and a half to eight and a half hours of sleep every single night. Every single night. Oh, okay. Uh, and and this is not this is relatively new. We've been doing this over the last. Three years before that, I thought I was fine on six and a half, seven hours of sleep. Uh, and I've had to go back and apologize to everybody I served during those years, because here's the deal. I And trust me, I hate what the science has proven here, but the science is indisputable, right? Mm. The vast majority of human beings to operate at your best, at 100 percent. You got to be getting an eight-hour sleep opportunity every night. There was a study I cited, I think it was from Duke, in Redeeming Your Time, that said that you are six times more likely to win an Olympic gold medal than you are to be one of the rare people in this world that can operate at 100% on less than eight hours of sleep. Wow. That hit me like a ton of bricks. I was That's like, insane, oh, my God. isn't it? Isn't that insane? It's crazy. And listen, again, I, please, please hear me. I, I know— exactly how hard this is i have a very full life i have three kids i have a one-year-old this is insanely hard let me tell you the the, the biggest thing that made the biggest difference for me and my yeah, wife please. um we set a bedtime <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right everyone get your notebook open get your notebook open get Here your notebook comes. open Here set comes. The bedtime. here's it's the set here's the funny
0: thing when i was writing redeeming your time yeah. A buddy of mine sent me this Wall Street Journal article with these like 80 products you could buy to get better sleep. There were some absurd things. $80 socks and a, a $1,000 Louis Vuitton sleep mask. Here's the deal. You know what's free and far more effective? Setting a freaking bedtime. Uh, all, and listen, before I did this, we would wake up at the exact same time every day. I think most people's wake up time is fixed. But our bedtime was variable. We would say something along the lines of, you know, yeah, I go to bed based on what's on TV that night, right? Yeah, like, yeah exactly. This, or we're binging is, and we just wanted 15 more minutes of this just episode. Want to finish what I, yeah. This is insane. If you really want <sighs> eight hours of sleep, this is simple <sighs> math. Your wake up time is fixed. Count back eight and a half hours if you want to get eight hours of sleep, and that's your bedtime. And once my wife and I recognized this very simple thing, yeah, we were able to make it work. Now, it's not its not easy. We got a lot to do at night. We got to make lunches for the kids for school the next day and sign homework folders, whatever. But we have just learned the tremendous productivity increases that sleep provides. Sleep helps us make creative connections between ideas. Uh, sleep helps us think properly. It helps us be less anxious. Uh, so we're just all in and uh, we're fighting for it every single
1: night, Carrie. What time do you go to bed and what time do you get up in the morning generally?
0: Yeah, we are in bed at 8.40 p.m. and my Oh, yeah. And my alarm goes off at 5 a.m.
1: Okay. Well, that's good to know. So to bed at 8.40. You know, there's a number of like younger leaders, parents I know who are going to bed before nine o'clock. And it's funny because you think of it as uh, we go to bed around 10. What I've discovered during, has so let me ask you this. How long did it take you to, did you have to work up to eight hours worth of sleep or did it come instantly?
0: No, it did not come instantly. At first I couldn't sleep eight hours,
1: honestly. Yeah. So what did you do about that?
0: Yeah, I just kept at it. (laughs) I I just forced myself to stay in bed.
1: Yeah. I I have done the same thing in this pandemic since I've been grounded and I'm no no longer navigating time zones, which is about to change this fall before Christmas. But I, first I was like six and a half to seven hours, couldn't sleep a whole lot more, but I have gradually crept up to eight or nine mm. hours of sleep and I'm mm. loving it. Do you and, find you're uh, more productive and creative? I think so. My wife and I, there's a little bit of uh, just difference there. She doesn't like to go to bed too early. I would go to bed at nine o'clock. If I wasn't married, I'd be in bed at nine o'clock. I'd probably wake up around five, five thirty. And then I'd be good to go. So what's happening now is I've traded in my 4.30 a.m. mornings for 6 a.m. mornings. But I think I would like to experiment by going to bed at 9 or 9.30 and bumping that up a little bit. You know what she does say? I don't know whether I'm, well, I did write a book in the midst of all that. And it's, I'm really proud of it. And, you know, the company's having a record year. So I would say, yeah, that's probably true. What Tony says, my wife, is when we're engaged with people, we have people over at our house. I was always a guy who used to be falling asleep. You know, ten mm. o'clock at mm. night. It's like okay, first to leave, mm. and now you know our friends stay up quite late sometimes. So mm. I'll be going at midnight still. Mm. And she's like, "You are so engaged. You're so dialed in. You're so present." Some of that has to do with sleep. I'm pretty sure. Mm. Yeah. What are some of the other benefits you've noticed? I'll t- I'll t- so I'll t- I'll tell a I'll tell an entertaining
0: story to illustrate my favorite. This idea that sleep helps us make creative connections. Are you a Rolling Stones fan by chance? Yeah, Carey? I am. Okay, all right. So Keith Richards, guitar player, one of the lead songwriters for the Stones, had this habit for years. He would sleep with a tape recorder and a guitar right next to his bed. So that if in the middle of the night he woke up and had a great idea for a song, he could just like write it down, right? Very right. GTD David Allen style. Uh I love it. So one night he goes to bed uh and in Clearwater, Florida, right down the street from me here in yeah. Tampa. Wakes up the next morning and his tape recorder had run all the way to the end. And he's like, I don't remember recording anything. That's bizarre. So he goes back, he rewinds the tape, he clicks play, and unconsciously in his sleep, he had written the first verse and chorus of Satisfaction. The Rolling Stones
1: (laughs) greatest song ever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Of all time, right? And he's not the only one. McCartney allegedly wrote yesterday and let it be in his sleep. Uh, Larry Page dreamed up Google. He didn't know it was Google, but this idea of downloading all the web pages from the internet in his sleep, right? And sleep scientists will tell you these are not anomalies, right? Right. All of us, it's not going to look this dramatic. Our subconscious minds are making creative connections that our conscious minds could not make while we were awake. It's why people tell you to sleep on a problem. On You're not it. supposed to stay sleep awake on a it. You yeah. sleep on the problem. And as leaders, what are we doing? We get paid to make creative connections between ideas, right? To make uncommon connections between ideas. We gotta have sleep. In order to so I could listen, I could sit here and list off data point after data point about the scary side effects of a lack of sleep. But for me, what's way more motivating is the positive upside of an eight-hour sleep opportunity every single night.
1: So I got to ask this question: How did you get your kids to sleep? Who? Um, that's tougher. <laughs> that's tougher. Yeah, yeah, it hearing. is. I know. I know. I know. A lot of parents, uh, I'm like, I'd go to bed early, but my kids are up all night. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. The best $20 I've ever spent uh, are these little lights that are in my kids' rooms uh, that shine different colors based on the time of the morning, right? So they know they don't get out of their room until the light turns green, right, at 6 a.m., and they're allowed to come out. So I don't know if it makes them sleep more, but it certainly makes mom and dad sleep uh, more and get our full eight-hour <laughs> sleep fantastic. opportunity overnight.
1: Yeah. So all I'm going to say is if you think you cannot get more sleep, Jordan Rainer is your uh, case in point. Three kids, seven and under. He goes to bed at 8.40, gets eight hours sleep and is massively productive. That's great. Let's And talk my about wife. And, and my wife. wife. I want to stress yeah, it's that. it's not like you're sleeping while someone else is, nah. you know, toiling Both away. That's right. All right. That's fantastic. And it's made a difference for her too.
0: Oh, yeah. She, she'll she tell you she's just way um, way less angry
1: <laughs> uh, and way, <laughs> sure.
0: way less yeah. irritable, I guess I should say, at the kids once she's gotten her full eight hours, for
1: sure. I agree. I'm at my most kind when I have the most margin. Totally. If I'm totally. under pressure with time, if I'm under pressure with sleep, if I'm under pressure with money, I'm not as good as when there's margin there. Okay, what about Sabbath? That's the third yeah. rhythm. I'm so glad yeah. we're breaking this down because we got so many tired leaders listening right now. So let's talk about Sabbath. I grew up in the church
0: and I didn't know a single family that
1: observed the Sabbath.
0: Uh, I, I thought the fourth commandment was just kind of like the speed limit. We just all kind of knew we were supposed to ignore it. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, don't don't and, make your
1: employees work, but go to a restaurant so they can work for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right.
0: but no, I I, you know, and I always viewed, when I did think about Sabbath, I viewed it as this life-sucking legalistic chore. And the shift I've made is really embedded in Jesus' words in Mark chapter 2. He said, Sabbath is made for man. It is a gift for us. Uh, Sabbath, as I've started to experience that gift over the last five or so years, um, I've just realize it's the most life-giving thing I get to do every single week. It's an island of get to in a sea of have to, as Kevin DeYoung uh, once said so beautifully. And so, yeah, for me and my kids and my wife, it's just this joyful day of ceasing, yes, ceasing productive things, uh, not doing productive talk, whatever, but equally, if not more so, it's about feasting on the good things God's given us and enjoying the fruit of the work he's given us to
1: do. I love it. What does Sabbath look like for you, just in in broad strokes? What would it it feel like? How do you observe it?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of young parents are like, hang on a second, isn't parenting work? Like, you don't get a break from this, which is true. Uh, But there is a way to make Sabbath really, really great with young kids. So for us... Um, It starts with work, ironically, right? So Saturday afternoon, we do all of the work we need to do for Saturday and Sunday. We pack our bags for church on Sunday. We do all the dishes, all the laundry, pick up the house, get everything out of the way so that we could focus essentially on resting, right? And then once that's done, uh, we order takeout from one of our favorite restaurants in town. We order some sort of epic dessert. Right now we're all in on crumble cookies, which are these enormous cookies delivered to your door, which is just awesome. Uh, And we just feast physically, eat a bunch of great food, go to bed, wake up the next morning. I spend a little bit more time in God's word than I typically do on Sunday mornings. Uh, The kids wake up, they get to enjoy two Sabbath-Sunday-only things. Uh, they get to watch a full-length movie. And then, mm. please don't judge me, I make my seven- and five-year-olds a cup of coffee, full cup of coffee that they get to enjoy on Sundays, which That's is fun fantastic. for their Sunday school teachers.
1: That's and fantastic.
0: Uh, yeah, man, we, we drive to our favorite donut shop in town. Uh, and on the way there, one of my favorite Sabbath traditions, we just spend the whole 12-minute drive talking about what we're thankful for, just thanking God for the good things in our week. Come back, got plenty of time to go to church, go to church, feast on the word with our church family, come back on Sunday. And usually Sunday afternoons are pretty low key. I mean, sometimes Kara, my wife and I will go on a date, but most times we're just hanging out in the pool, uh, playing a board game. My my friend, Jeff Heck, who runs a brewery uh, in Atlanta, says sometimes Sabbath is as simple as a kiddie pool and a beer. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Uh, That's right. So for me, the kids are hanging out in the pool. I'm drinking a good beer. And yeah, we just end the day with our stomachs full, obviously. But more importantly, our soul's filled uh, with the word. And just this reminder that we are children of God that are loved even when we are not being productive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's that truth and that understanding that leads us to want to be wildly productive the next day. Not because we have to, not because we can earn any more God's favor, but because we want to do our work as worship to the one who gave us that eternal rest.
1: I mean, this is a news, but I love the way you said it. That, that Sabbath is a gift, a gift mm. that I have spent most of my life not opening. Mm. And that in the last couple of years, I've really been taking more seriously. And I'm not, I'm not like I'm a baby. I'm in Sabbath kindergarten but you're right. I would hate to get to heaven and God say, well, I gave you a gift. How come you never opened it? It's like, mm. Oh yeah, I was too busy. Mm. Right. But mm. that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'll okay. I'll say this, let, I'll, I'll yeah, say this yeah. last
0: thing, last word on Sabbath. I was, um, I was up in, we were vacation in Rhode Island this summer. And, uh, I, 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 I saw a mentor of mine that I hadn't seen in about five years, basically when we started Sabbathing and we were talking, we talked for about an hour and he texted me after I left his house. He said, Hey, You just look way more rested than the last time I saw you. And it's not the rest that a vacation brings. Like, what's up? I was like, Sabbath, Sabbath. Listen, and here's the deal. Over the last five years, I have taken way less time off than I did the five years prior to that. I take maybe a week off a year to go on, quote unquote, vacation. But here's the deal. I get 52 vacation days a year. And a day of Sabbath rest is 10 times more restful than a week at Disney with kids. Right. Right. Because so, you,
1: you're done at Disney. You're exhausted.
0: Done, done. Done. And since we live in Central Florida, that's all we do. So Sabbath has yeah. been a game game changer
1: for us. Ah, uh, Okay. I want to, before we wrap up, talk about saying no. It's yeah. It feels like an inexhaustible... Yeah, it is. Well, that I can keep diving into because it's a daily challenge in my life. You've got some great strategies, ideas on saying no. So walk us through what that looks like and what you would tell leaders who have more opportunities and time available to do when they say no.
0: Yeah, first, I want to share a little bit of my perspective on this. I I, I think as a Christian, I try to take a different approach to this topic than the rest of the world you know, kind of conventional business wisdom on this topic is, if you can't say hell yes to something, say no. Yeah, that just doesn't jive with the example of Jesus in the Gospels. There were a lot of times when Jesus said no, but there were also times when he sacrificially said yes when he didn't want to, right? Mm. If you really want to look at this, go look at Matthew uh, chapter 14, I think provides a great case study of this. But that said, I do think we all need more help saying no than we do need saying yes. And so in redeeming your time, I shared eight questions that I try to ask when discerning requests for my time. And I'll just share a couple of them with
1: you. Yeah, if you would, uh, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, I'll just share a couple. You know, One of them I love is, um, am I trying to do good or make myself look good by saying yes to this request for my time? Uh A lot of times, if I'm honest, I'm just trying to look good, right? Like I get invited to speak at a conference and it's not really aligned with my goals, but I say yes, because it looks cool. And I like being asked to speak at conferences, right? Or I get asked to go to this private event with 50 young leaders, which is like awesome. Like I'm so honored to be invited, but I'm just saying yes, because I want to be seen at the cool kids table. And Mm -hmm. that's not a good reason to say yes, right? Like we are called to do good works. We're not necessarily called to look good. And so I'm just always trying to ask that question. Uh, Another one I love is, would I say yes to 100 similar requests for my time? Right? If Let's take the proverbial coffee meeting. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, Jordan, I'd love to get coffee for an hour to pick your brain on something. I'm not just saying yes or no to that coffee meeting, right? I am, in a small way, contributing to the habit of saying yes or no to meetings that have that exact same profile in the future. So anytime something comes across my desk, whether it's a speaking opportunity or coffee or a request from a member of my team, I ask, all right, if the exact same scenario happened again next week, would I say yes to this a hundred times? And honestly, nine times out of 10, that question is what enables me to say no. No. Pretty crystal mm-hmm. clearly. Mm. Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, where, whereas, if your daughter says, "Dad, you want to go to the park?" Yes, so yes 150 a million times, times to that. Yep. Yeah. There are certain people. It's like, "Hey, can we jump on a twenty-minute phone call?" You'd be like, "Yes, and we'll do it tomorrow, and the day yeah. after, and the day after." That's a really, That's right. really good filter. Okay. Obviously, your book is a detailed tome. It's super helpful. It's incredibly practical. Thirty-one, thirty-two practices. Yeah all the principles you've outlined. What is one thing we haven't covered that you want leaders to know as we yeah. wind this down?
0: Yeah. I think I want leaders to know what I'm trying to get my kids to understand at a really early age. Um, every single night without fail, when I put them to bed, last thing I tell my seven-year-old and my five-year-old, uh, one-year-old's too young to understand. is say, Hey girls, you know I love you no matter how many bad things you do? And they say, yes. Like, you know I also love you no matter how many good things you do? And they say, yes. I say, who else loves you like that? And they say, Jesus. I think as leaders, we've got to hear those words spoken over our work and our efforts to be productive. The God of the universe loves you regardless of how productive or unproductive you are. That brings this Deep, soul-level rest, the ability to rest from work. But paradoxically, it's also the thing that leads us to be wildly ambitious for our work, right? Because when you're working for somebody's favor that you have yet earned, that's exhausting, right? But when you work in response to unconditional favor, the favor of God, that's intoxicating, right? You want to be productive not because you need something, but just because you want to make your father proud.
1: So I got one more question. I think I'm going to go there. You and I wrote books on productivity that came out around the same time within about a month of each other. Actually the same publisher, Penguin, Waterbrook, et cetera. And one of the things a lot of leaders deal with is jealousy, insecurity, et cetera, which has been a lifelong battle for me. So here's the reality. I'm glad you're going here. Are you glad I'm going there? yeah, 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 yeah. Because I'm like, okay, there's a bunch of time management books being released, but you and I are uh, vying for top spot on an almost daily basis on Amazon for the number one new release. I want to know how you process that. And I heard Adam Grant talk about a similar thing with Malcolm Gladwell, where they were secretly envious of each other and trying to outsell each other. And he said they became worthy rivals. How, How are you, and eventually friends, how are you processing that?
0: Oh man, this is such a good question. And I'll, I'll just be real vulnerable and say, this is a challenge, this is hard. We all, everything in our culture tells us we have to win, right? Yeah. And you know what I'm thinking a lot about these days? When what I do get out about? with Carrie Newhoff and uh, everyone else, I'm thinking about Simon Sinek's great book, The Infinite Game, and remembering that the mission matters way more. What I care about deeply is that leaders would redeem their time for the purposes of God in this world. And I shouldn't care if Carrie Newhoff helps them do that or if Jordan Rayner helps them do it. And if I do care too much to the point where I'm angry or jealous, then I got to be honest with myself that I'm not doing this work for God's glory. I'm doing this for my glory, right? And like, that's an ugly... Uh sticky place to be. I'll, I'll say one more thing on this topic and then I'd love to, I'd actually love to hear you answer this. You bet, I Another will. Another thing I think about uh, in terms of professional jealousy, a lot of times when I find myself getting jealous, I have to remind myself that I'm not playing the same game as other people, right? Like for example, <clears throat> Carrie, you speak beautifully, powerfully uh, to leaders. Like that's your audience. I speak to a much broader, but also a more narrow audience. My audience is the church, right? Mm. If you pick up Redeeming Your Time and you're not a follower of Jesus, there's a lot of value there. But I didn't write this book for you. And I'm not going to apologize for that. Like, I wrote this book for the church. I feel like my call is to equip the saints, right? Uh, Again, I'm making that transition from entrepreneur to pastor. So when I look at other people, I got to ask myself, they're playing a different game than me. Kobe Bryant would never get jealous of Tiger Woods. So yeah. why would I get jealous of somebody playing in a totally different market and a totally different game than I am? This is silly. It's ridiculous. Anyways, few raw thoughts as to how I'm thinking about this right now. How well, I you? think
1: that's incredibly mature. Can I ask you how old you are now? 35. You're 35. 35. Yeah. So 35-year-old Carrie had an encounter with God that was mm-hmm. very... Challenging because I was insecure and jealous of another preacher. And I was definitely at the point where I had to like deal with it. Like, and I remember reading the book of James, and it's like, is any of you envious? Is any of you jealous? You know, this is from hell, this is from the devil. And I'm like, I remember reading the book, the Bible, but like the Bible read me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. I went and read that passage for days. Every morning, I'd sit at the table, read that passage until, and finally release it until the ugly black thing Mm. of jealousy and insecurity came out of me. And since then, I'm not going to say it's not a struggle, Mm. um, but it has been a lot easier. So I would Mm. have said, I think you're way ahead of where I was at 35. I just got to say that. And what I've had to do, Andy Stanley was so helpful. A message he preached years ago, I think he wrote about it in one of his books. He just said, you know, leverage, celebrate what God has given others, leverage mm. what God has given you. Mm. And mm. I have tried to make that a mantra. So one of the things I did to make sure this wouldn't happen to me is it's like, you know, I could have played the zero sum game, the non-infinite mm. game, the finite game, because I've read that book as well. And mm. listened to Simon talk about that. I could have said, Jordan Rainer not coming on my podcast. Um, I could have said, I'm not interviewing David Allen because my book's better than David Allen. But you wrote a fantastic book, dude. Like a great book with lots of things that I didn't cover and didn't think of covering. David Allen Mm -hmm. is a genius. He's a guru. Cal Newport. So it's like, am I going to have a scarcity mentality or am I going to have an abundance mentality? And as we record this, your book is coming out very soon. And I know you are going to knock me off of number one. And you know what (laughs) I'm going to do that day? Oh, I believe that, man. I believe that. I'm like, I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to celebrate Jordan. We have a friendship. And it goes yeah. beyond who is number one or who is number two or who's number eight or who's number 879 on some list somewhere buried deep in the, the annals of Amazon. There's 10 million books out there. Like, come on. Here's, and, here's the,
0: other, and this is yeah. so good. And I, I would just share one more thing. Cause I think all leaders, not just authors struggle with this. Authors struggle with it more because the rankings are public and updated every other hour. <laughs> right. Uh, every but, hour. But, but they're but, not quite uh,
1: accurate. Cause I'm sure I sold more than that. But anyway, exactly. But yeah.
0: no, like here's the deal. Even when you reach number one, you're there for a day, right? It's such a dumb game to play. Well, like, I, it is a dumb game. It's not rational. Well, we were talking rational
1: before we recorded too. Like I had some friends who released books the same month as mine and a couple of them hit the New York times list. And I thought, how am I going to be? Because my book was in the category of sales that could have hit the list, but Mm -hmm. it's magical. It's like, I don't know how it goes there. And I had a friend who like hit the list and I'm like, and I promoted his book. So what did I do? It was a, just a tinge, just that little phantom pain of jealousy. I'm like, you go text him and congratulate him. Yeah. So I did yeah. it publicly, but I also did it privately. And I'm just like, yeah. dude, I'm so excited for you. That's so good. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. every time I celebrate someone else, that little selfish part of me dies a little bit more. I don't know whether that resonates with you, but I think if you totally. can celebrate people publicly, it just kills that that envy. And it's not a scarcity mindset. And we are playing not for top spot, but for a much bigger infinite game. And if it makes a difference in the lives of however many people, then you're good for it. But I think mm. I think this is. I mean, you saw that in business. It definitely. Mm. I wish you could say, "Hey, in ministry, nobody struggles with that." Lie. <laughs> Lots of people struggle with that. He's a better communicator. She's funnier. Mm. You know, he's more fit than I am. Whatever. Whatever mm. it happens to be. Mm. So I'm just glad I'll, we can I'll, talk I'll,
0: about I'll, that. I'll, I'll, I'll leave with this: um, the parable of the talents, mm. right? Some people are five talents serv- or my buddy, John Mark Comer is yeah. a five talent servant. I don't yep. know if I'm five. I might be two, but guess what? At the end of the day, both the guy with five talents and the guy with three talents, two talents, whatever it was, got the same blessing from the mm-hmm. heavenly father. Well done. Good and faithful servant. It is not about winning. Success is stewardship. Right? Yeah. Yeah stewarding what God has given us as best as we possibly can, not being the best, but stewarding uh, just as well as the next guy.
1: I have studied that parable so many times. And, you know, going back to the Greek, it is the exact same wording in Mm. the Greek translation. Mm. So it's the guy with five, the guy with two. Same words, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not like, well, you got four and this guy got 10. So theoretically, he's more 2x than you. It's like, hey, good job which also means if I'm the one talent guy, all I have to do is show up with two. Like I worked yeah. hard, I put my one in the ground, you know, I put my one to work and here's two. And what go. would have happened? We know it would have been well done, good and faithful servant. So, amen. hey, this is good. If that helped anybody who struggles with insecurity or jealousy, I'm glad. And uh, you need to know, I am thrilled you wrote this book. I'm cheering for you. It's called Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful present and wildly productive. I must say there's a big part of me that loves the wildly productive part.
0: There you go. And don't forget listeners, Carrie's coming back onto the call to mastery in a couple Mm -hmm. of months. Uh, so we're excited about that. We're going to be talking about at your best. So we're flipping the mic. It's going to be, well, uh, it's going to we be a good talk
1: about it too, because the other thing and it, it, it didn't work out because I'm actually in Maine uh, with my yeah. team when this was going to work it, but uh, abundance versus scarcity. You had reached out to me. You're doing a podcast with Mark Batterson. That'll release what in January. Yeah. Was j- it December, January. Be, we haven't decided. Yeah. You, me and Mark. Uh, we're going to do the podcast together about our three books on productivity. Again, abundance, not scarcity. And I had to bow out simply because of calendar. But I appreciate the invitation and uh, I will be subscribing to that podcast, just so you know.
0: It's going to be a lot of
1: fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, Jordan, this is great. It won't be the last time. Thanks so much. Congrats on the book. Thanks for helping so many people and thanks for investing in the kingdom and in my leaders and listeners today Mm. who hang out over here. We are all better Mm. for it. Thank you, Kerry. Well, thanks, Jordan, for a fascinating conversation. I love the way that ended too. I thought, should I ask him the question? And uh, yeah, we have been uh, going back and forth in the Amazon rankings. Uh, But you know what? I really think this is a good season in life to think about an abundance mentality. And I think that's really, really important. You can figure out that you own a lane and say, hey, hey, I wrote the time management book. Uh, Not a lot of humility there. Uh, Jordan's book is fantastic. I hope you will check that out. And uh, I thought that was a, a fun conversation. So thanks for listening to the very end, as we learn most of you do, which is fantastic. We have transcripts for you. You can find those at kerryneuhoff.com episode 462. In the meantime, if you haven't subscribed, please do so. Also coming up, we have Nikki Gumbel, Donald Miller, Mark Sayers, Nona Jones is coming back, Craig Groeschel, Bobby Grunwald. Uh, Who else have we got? Uh, I'm so excited to have Jenny Allen and Clay Scroggins back on the podcast. It's going to be an incredible year. Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. And if you haven't yet checked out what we're doing over at kerrynewhoff.com, my website, I would encourage you to do that. So I'll just give you an analogy. I have listened to The Tim Ferriss Show for years and years and years, but only recently begun to head over to his website. And I'm blown away by how much I was missing over at Tim's website. Sometimes you just have, hey, they're my audio friends and I go running with them or, you know, I go to the gym or cook dinner with them or do drive time with them, but you never check out a podcaster's other work. And if you haven't done that yet, just go to kerrynewhoff.com. We got a lot there for you. I send out a daily email as well to over 85,000 leaders, just a little dose of daily leadership. And we got some really exciting things coming up next year as well. So uh, you can check that all out over at CarrieNewhoff.com. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the podcast. I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.